Thanks for tuning into the Life in the Front Office podcast. I'm your host, Jay Kirschman. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And thanks to Suja Organic for their support. Remember, you can get 15% off any one-time pack on shop.sujajuice.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office presented by Sujo Organic. Excited to talk to Brian Blair, our guest who has decided to come back for a second time. Uh, if you if you hadn't listened to Brian's previous episode, episode 100, uh, fantastic. But Brian was the deputy AD and COO at Washington State then. And now he is the vice president and director of athletics at Toledo. And just excited to... Uh, dive into his journey from not only how he got to Washington State and then uh, this role becoming the youngest uh, athletic director in FBS uh, schools, but then um, kind of what what goes on uh, at the ADC, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. So nonetheless, welcome, and along with co-host Andy Dolich, welcome as well. Looking forward to it. Brian, let's start out with uh, Andy talks a lot about you can't be a president until you're a president. And, and I'm sure along along the, your journey from a career perspective, you know, people would ask you, what do you want to do? And you say, I want to be an athletic director. And you can't really be an AD until you're an AD. But what's the process like of getting there? And how do you raise your hand and say, hey, I want to I want to I want to be an AD. You know, you're not just blindly going online and, and, and applying, right? Yeah, it, it, I think it's fascinating. You know, as you ask the question, I'm thinking, okay, I probably said I wanted to be an AD my second year of law school um, and set that as a, a goal. Um, now, my understanding of what that actually meant and the process that would go into it has changed dramatically um, since law school and the multiple career stops. And, and, and candidly, the role of an AD changed. Um, since then in the environment we exist in. So a lot has changed since I first set that as my, my kind of guiding star, my goal. Um, but I, I think the further along I go, the more meaningful that, that goal was and that dream, trying to make it a reality just because of the impact that you can have. I mean, having been a former student athlete myself, recreating that experience for others and improving upon that experience um, is a goal of mine. And frankly, it's fun. I was like, get the higher education side, I get the sports side, I get the business side kind of get to combine all those in one. I think the process to get to an AD chair is very, very hard. Um, and I think as you talk to more ADs, it starts to become really apparent to you that the odds are stacked against you, right? Um, we talk about FBS ADs. I mean, there are only 130 of us, um, I think. And I had a mentor one time say, hey, put down on a chart all 130. And then which places don't you want to live? which institutions that probably wouldn't hire you because you're not of a certain faith or background or whatever it may be, um, which ones can't you get from the stop that you're at? So as a deputy AD at Toledo, I'm probably not getting the Texas AD job, right? And so once you start striking down that list, that number becomes really small. And then you notice how many people go after these jobs that are equally as talented as you. It's a hard process. I mean, you talk to whether it be Ross Bjork at, at Texas A&M or Desiree Reed-Francois at Missouri or others. I mean, they've gone after seven, eight, nine jobs. Um, just to try to get that one. Um, and here they are on the other side of it, um, being um, Power 5 AD. So for me, that, that certainly was a similar process. But what I will say is Toledo was probably the first time 
um, that I could be 100% myself and not feel like I was trying to be something that I wouldn't. I feel like I fit what they wanted at every turn. Um, and it, it was an easy conversation for me to have uh, with this opportunity. But the preparation that goes into it, um, a lot, some of it is you. So much of it is who you work for and the mentors that pour into you to try to set you up for those opportunities. Brian, when it, go back to that uh, statement about thinking about an AD position in law school. Was there an event, a conversation, a person that sort of implanted that in your mind way back when? Yeah, I don't know that when I was a student athlete, I actually understood what the AD or anybody in the administration of the athletic department actually did. Um, I think it was just like, okay, I know we have a young lady that works in compliance and she does begin to see some paperwork. I know I see my AD sometimes at practice or events, but I had my football coach and my position coach and that was my world. Um, and I think when I got to law school and I was actually in an entertainment law class, not even a sports law class, entertainment law, we were talking about different professionals that use law degrees in non-traditional paths. And we're talking about agents and business leaders and others, but then we started talking about commerce commissioners and ADs. And there was a handful of ADs they pointed out that had law degrees. I think one at the time was at Notre Dame, another, um, I can't remember what the other one was. Uh, but then the light bulb went off, boom, I can combine what I love with this degree and do something I'm really passionate about. Um, and then I'd spend my free time in the lobby of the law school with my computer up on the search engine, just typing in AD, athletic director, law degree, and seeing what popped up and seeing what people came to the table. And what I noticed, there were a lot of people that worked in sports in general, but certainly in college athletics had law degrees. Um, and so I, I've been on that path ever since um, and, and understanding how I combine that passion for education, the law and, and the analytical thinking that goes with it. I'm into college athletics. Well, little did you know at that time, and we'll we'll dig into it in a bit, that having a legal background would be so helpful in the daily more complicated world of college athletics. Yeah, I'd love to say I planned it that way, but I did. <laughs> Brian, you mentioned something earlier where you said I had been thinking about being an AD for, and you fill in the blank of however many however many years, right? When you're chasing that goal along the way. Do you make it evident to people that you're working with or, or that, you know, as you mentioned, the mentors that, that pour into you, that that's what you want to do and you got to figure out how to get there? Or when you get to a spot like a deputy AD, which you're one step away from the AD chair at Washington State, you know, how do you not sit back and go, well, am I, am I in line for the next spot and it might take five years or 10 years or whatever it might be? Uh, how, how do you think about that process? Yeah, I, and I, I don't know if I ever, somebody told me to do this or not, but I, I've been really transparent with whoever I've worked for, what my career aspirations were. I think the tone of the conversation, though, when I was assistant director of compliance in South Carolina, I said, I want to be an AD. Like, that, that's got a little bit different conversation. It's like, well, focus on what you're doing, and we'll try to grow you and expand, but really focus on what you're doing versus... Um, when I'm talking to my boss at Rice and my boss at uh, Washington State and say, hey, I want your job one day. Um, help me get there. Here are the things that I think I need. What do you think I need? Um, what do you think I need to do during the search process? I mean, because you've got the search firms and all the different layers um, to an AD search and how do you land one of those? Um, so I, I think for me, it was always a point for me to tell people what I wanted eventually so I could get a sense of whether they want to help me out with that. And candidly, I've had some job opportunities throughout my career where they were maybe perceived from the outside looking in as a better job or a bigger brand or a better conference. But 
honestly, I felt like the people in the organization, I didn't feel like they were going to be committed to my growth um, long-term. And, and I know for me, when I work somewhere, I pour my all into it. And work-life balance is something I'm still trying to find because I, I just dive all in. But at the same time, my expectation is return is somebody that's willing to pour into me, especially early in my career along that journey. And so when I was honest with people about that, then I, I figured out who was willing to do that versus who was just giving me lip service. And so I was fortunate that all the bosses and people I had in my career path really poured into me and said, hey, you want to be an AD? I want to help you out in ways that also help this organization. Let's put a plan together to make that a reality. Um, and certainly Joe Carver at Rice and Pat Chun at Washington State um, were two huge figures um, in that growth. They're giving me opportunities at a really young age, quite frankly. I mean, I talk about how young I am within the FBS. I mean, I was even younger uh, when they gave me opportunities to, to, to oversee large groups of staff and run a different initiative. So I've been very blessed in my career, but I've tried to be open and honest about my ambitions. And it's, it's a positive to hear you say that because in today's world of analytics and metrics and digital devices, you can contact people all over the world with one push of a finger. But if you don't have a personal network that gets bigger every day, I'm just thinking you can't really get to where you want to go because it's all about people, right? Yeah, that's something I kind of fell into in a weird way, right? I, I think when I was first coming in the industry and people were like, you need to network. You need to, and I didn't really know what that meant, right? And then so you'd see young people run up to a speaker at a conference. And, oh, hey, that's Andy Dolich. I need to grab his business card. Okay, I'm going to connect with Andy on LinkedIn. And now all the doors are going to be open for me. That's not how it works. And so throughout my career, I started to understand building really authentic relationships with people um, and finding ways to dig deeper than just, I met you, what can you do for me? Um, what was the key to my success and the key to my ability to be successful? Because um, I think networking is part, you want to meet people, and certainly if opportunities come from that great. I've tried to lean more on my network and network for people for knowledge. How can I be better at what I'm doing? How can I hire better? Um, I, I lean on my network critically when I have openings on my staff. Um, to give me names or, hey, Jake's applied for a job here. Andy, what do you know about Jake? And give me the unvarnished truth. I don't want just who Jake listed as, as his reference. I want what everybody's interaction with him has been um, to that point. I think that allows you to make better hires too. Which yeah, and that's not going to show up on a piece of paper resume. Absolutely. So I, I've leaned on my network heavily, probably even more so from the doing my job really well and trying to do it the best possible because I tell people I'm not the smartest person in the world. You, and you, nev you never know who the people are and you never know what's going to happen. This is just, I, I, I'm sort of blown away because this happened uh, last night. So uh, a week or two ago, I was uh, doing a talk at San Jose State University and they have a sports management program, sort of, and there were like 12 students in the class and we were talking about all manner of stuff. And of course, as you do these, you will hear from three or four or five students. You won't hear from everybody, and that's fine. You know, thanking you for coming to the class. But one young man said, you know, I really appreciated that. And Jake, I was pushing a loss of logo during the class, just so that you know, um, uh, with uh, mentions of 20 secrets. So he sends me a note and he says, um, you know, I, I really want to work in the world of tennis you know i know you have a big network so i do know some people in the tennis world there's a gentleman named dick gould dick gould is the tennis coach longtime tennis coach at stanford i mean john mcenroe he's he's a giant in the world of tennis so i send him a note 
And Dick is one of these guys that gets back to you in about 3.5 nanoseconds. And without even coming back to me, he writes a note back to this student, like, tell me what you want. I'm on vacation, but we'll talk about it. I mean, that to me is a perfect example. Who knows where it's going to end up? But if that young man didn't take a positive, proactive position to get in touch with me, he'd never meet Dick Gould in a million years. And I think so often we have people that we cross paths with that we overlook in favor of, I go to this 500 person conference and I run up to that person. And I, I tell people all the time, like I, w- I work on a college campus. And when I was younger in my career, I've got other, when I was younger, I had the senior associate and deputy ADs within the department. I've got the AD right there. I've got a number of coaches, all who have impact on my career, all who are wildly connected. And so often young people in departments look over those individuals for the AD at a school a thousand miles away who, yeah, they may be a nice person. You may have a great interaction, but you've got people that you got a daily opportunity to connect with and learn from right in front of you. And you overlook those people in favor of that person that you've got to set up a Zoom or a call with. So you've got so many opportunities at your fingertips in whatever organization you're in, really maximizing those opportunities and getting the most out of that experience. And I, I thought at South Carolina, I was able to do a particularly good job of that uh, with some of the people, especially on the external side of the house, Eric Nichols and that whole crew, uh, where he and I would go to lunch regularly just spitball ideas on social media and marketing. Um, and here I am, the assistant director of compliance, and I'm connecting with him on these kind of things, which is not only fueling my growth and stoking my mind, but also giving me another content in the department that if he was to get a call about me, it's not just, well, I know Brian's in compliance and I got an email from him. That's actually have a relationship with Brian. And yeah, he's not a weirdo. You can sit down and have a conversation with him. You may want to look at him. So I think that's really important. Brian, you mentioned earlier the AD seat has changed since when you even first started to think about, oh, I want to be an AD. What's been the biggest differences and shifts in the landscape that you've seen? And now that you're sitting in that chair, are there things that you realize, oh, I got to do this, this, and this. I never had a clue that an AD would do that. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's changed since I got this job. (laughs) I mean, it's just day by day, if something pops up, I, I think the biggest change is probably the change and the pace of change in that it feels like every single aspect of our industry is changing all at once. And so the topics that kind of get the headlines are you talk about the transfer portal um, or name, image, and likeness and the role that has within a revenue generation and sponsorship categories and those kind of things. Um, you talk about DEI and social justice, anti-racism. Um, all these topics have certainly gotten there doing the headline, but there's also a lot of change happening in college at higher ed overall in terms of how people value higher education and the enrollment numbers that different pockets of campuses are seeing, particularly for us here in the Midwest, where you've seen populations kind of migrate elsewhere. Um, and so all these things are happening all at one time. And I think the challenge and opportunity is that you're trying to build a strategy for an organization to make that organization successful, but all the factors that are around you are changing. How do you make sure you, you hit the right spot? Yeah, um, and you mentioned transfer portal. I'm thinking about you know NIL, NFT, and transfer portal is significant vis-a-vis the athletes. Now you have colleges transferring to other conferences. I mean, I'm right in the middle of this here in the Pac-12, and you were there like, holy mackerel. Um, <laughs> you want to you want to unpack that? Uh, yeah. That's going to take a while, right? And you got, I mean, right? I mean, my, if I'm building, we're going to go through strategic planning process here. I'm big on strategic plans. And we're going to talk about how we compare to peers. 
but one of our peer groups is the MAC, um, the Mid-American Conference, and our peers within that conference. Well, all of a sudden, if there's a landscape shift and I'm in the, the Pac-12 tomorrow, well, my strategy and what we're trying to do drastically changes, right? I, I go from wanting to win a conference, conference championship in every sport to probably we're hand-selecting two or three sports out of our whole portfolio that we can try to be competitive in ASAP with a long-term growth strategy for those other sports. And so I think that, the, again, the, the landscape and the environment you exist in, to some degree, dictates parts of your strategy. It may not be your mission, mission, values, but I think from a strategy standpoint, what you choose to put a focus on, it, it certainly changes it. So to me, when I was initially getting into the industry, it was purely, how can you fundraise? How can you build bigger facilities? provide a really good student athlete experience from a grade standpoint and the like. Well, nowadays, everything is grown, right? With the revenues come in. So your, your academic staff's bigger, your student athlete development staff's bigger, your fundraising staff's bigger. Um, I think the, the NIL and how that interacts with what we try to do from a fundraising and a sponsorship standpoint um, with your MMR partners, your Learfield, your, your PlayFi, those kind of people. I mean, the business expertise that I think it takes to be an AD today it, it, I think it's higher than it probably was 20 years ago. Right. 20 years ago, you had former coaches popping in. You had people with really good relationship skills um, and the ability to fundraise um, being ADs. I think now, um, we talked about the law degree. I mean, a lot of what I deal with is, is lawyer stuff. Um, it's contracts, it's negotiations, it, it's thinking through the risk associated with some of these things regarding NIL and tax implications and international student athletes and how they play into it. Um, and so it requires a lot of analytics. Yeah, so th that's a great segue. I did some work for IMG College, and what I realized after being in the pro space for most of my career, the college space is so much more complicated with many more constituencies, from boosters to coaches to faculty to state legislatures. Um, can you talk a bit about that of, you know, the major constituencies that you have to deal with other than, you know, the coaches and the conference? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's frankly what makes us different than working in pro sports or other avenues. And I think it's probably uh, the biggest thing you can latch on to as a secret to success. It's probably sometimes the biggest headache too, right? I mean, I, as the, the profile and the revenues generated has increased, the platform is inviting a lot of people who want to pay attention to what we do in college athletics. So you get a lot more people saying, hey, I want to say in that or I want some involvement. But no matter what you do, somebody's not going to be happy with how you went about it. And so in my first couple of months here, I have literally gone from meeting the mayor to meeting local organizing groups, the Chamber of Commerce, um, local coaches that have retired, but went off into kind of glory and people kind of treat them with a certain amount of reverence. So you have to keep them in mind. You've got your alumni student athletes who went to Toledo and had an experience here. I didn't go to Toledo. Um, so I need to make sure I'm stewarding the, the experience they want to see uh, from, from their college. And then I've got my faculty on campus who have their concerns about our, our athletic department and what we do. Um, and I've got my like campus just officials as a whole, a president, the board of trustees, the like. And then I've got coaches and student athletes who sometimes can be on different ends of different issues and, and how they want to be treated and seen. And so to make decisions that makes everybody happy in all that equation is almost impossible. I think what we try to do, what I try to do is just broadly communicate um, and probably more so than communicate broadly, listen um, to all the different stakeholders and have a finger on the pulse of kind of what each group cares about, what they want to be in the loop about, what they want to solicit or want to be solicited for feedback on. And then when we make decisions, understand that you're not going to make everybody happy. But I think if you've shown people 
your willingness to listen and learn. Um, I think sometimes that, 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 that allows you to get over some of the other concerns. Brian, you mentioned higher education is going through their change as well. And, and change is certainly always constant. But when you think about now in your role, prior, you were reporting into someone else that was within athletics and whatnot. And now you're reporting into, I would assume, the president right, of the university to where now you've got a totally different lens into probably uh, quite a few things. Um, what is that like? And how is higher education as a whole changing? Yeah. I think one of the best things I did when I was in Washington State was reach out to my president at Washington State and, and do a regular sit-down conversation. I'm actually, he, he reached out to me and set it up because he, he wanted to help mentor me. Uh, but we met once a month, I think it was, um, when I was at Washington State, just talking about not sports, but the landscape of higher education and how sports fit within that. So I, I got a little bit of a peek behind the curtain there and understanding of how a president's mind works. Um, but every president faces different stressors. And, uh, and ours here, I mean, we, we, we've taken, Andy, you talk about the transfer portal. Well, we got a hospital by the transfer portal and pulled them under our medical college, pulled them under the umbrella of Toledo a handful of years back. Um, he's got a medical background. He's trying to get that stood up. Um, he's battling the enrollment challenges. I've been trying to right size the university in the modern era. We're looking at our, our course offerings and what sets a student athlete, a student up today for success in the, the real world versus maybe what did 10, 15 years ago. Um, and how do you value education? I think like you see a lot of people now, whether it be online education options, or maybe go to a two-year before going to four-year, and there's just so many paths. Um, so I think one of the realizations I've had is just we're one, a very small piece of the puzzle. I think when you work in college athletics, sometimes you think you're the it, you think you're the big deal. And you, you very soon realize when you're on the college campus and you're going to those president cabinet meetings or talking about these issues. I mean, there's so many things going on in the university. You're such a small faction. Um, I think that's healthy. A reminder, you're a very visible faction, but you're such a small faction um, of the overall. So making sure, I think that front porch analogy maybe gets overblown sometimes, but I certainly think it's true um, that our profile allows us to help leverage the brand in the university, uh, showcase all the positive things going on, build a sense of community on campus to invite alumni back or bring students together. Um, and certainly that's the role we want to play here, in addition to providing a great student athlete experience. But that, that I, I do not want to be a president. Um, I, now that I'm up close to it, I, even less so. Because Andy, you talk about stakeholders, I would say for all that I've got, um, they probably triple or quadruple that um, in terms of having all my stakeholders plus everything else from going around the university. Uh, Brian, I know you just went through some of the objectives, but as you sit there today and you know, you're getting started, what are the one or two objectives that you have built into your uh, plan that you really want to do something significant about at the university? Yeah, early on, I, I talked a lot about listening, listen, learn, lead um, was my formula for those first 90 days. I'm a spend, so I met with every single staff member of the department one-on-one. -on -one. Um, I did a questionnaire for the staff about a month, two months before I got here um, to have them more or less tell me some personal details about themselves, but also do a SWOT analysis um, and give me that information. And that, I got 130 responses from that. That was really helpful to inform me on what do people think about the department, what are our challenges, but also what areas do I dig, dig deeper and ask more questions about. Um, what I've talked about at Toledo is we want to go from good to great. This is one of the best athletic departments in the Mid-American Conference. Um, and we've been really, really successful over time within the conference. Um, what does that next step of success look like in going from good to great? Um, there's a handful of institutions at a G5 level that have done that. I want to be the nation's premier group of five institution. Um, I think we're located in a great metro city. 
I think the state of Ohio lends itself to sports success and sports fashion. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. And I think our tradition, the history of being really successful, um, lends itself. We've got great facilities um, that were built by my predecessor, especially in basketball, um, one of the best venues in the country, I believe. And so taking that and building on that and having national level success, it's going to be our goal. And I kind of view it in four different buckets in order. One, we're going to focus on people. Um, recruit, retain, develop the absolute best coaches, staff, and student athletes we possibly can. We do that, and 90% of everything else becomes really, really easy. Um, second, we're going to focus on culture, um, a blue-collar mentality, a we-before-me, team-first, hard work, integrity um, type of culture, and really reinforce that. I think you build culture by what you hold people accountable to and also what you celebrate. Um, so that culture is going to be really important to me, and, and there's a great foundation in place. Uh, third is strategy. And we're going to come up with what we will do, but also what we won't do. I think all too often people talk about strategy and put together a to-do list of new ideas and new initiatives. Um, well, there's limited hours in the day and the limited resources at play, right? And so we need to figure out, okay, what is it that we want to focus on? But also what won't we do or what will we do to a certain level and be transparent about those decisions. And so for me to sit here and say, hey, I want to be a national champion in every sport, well, that, that's a waste of everybody's time. Um, there's a, a lot of our group that can be best in the conference at. There are certain sports that probably be best in the nation or compete, um, at least on that landscape, to elevate our brand. Um, so people, culture, strategy, and the last, we need more resources. Um, and that's my job as our leader to cast that vision, and both from a fundraising, um, sponsorship, marketing standpoint, ticket sales, increase the number of resources we can to go back into the student-athlete experience. I would also go to retain and developing those quality people so we hold on to them for a little bit longer. Um, but if we do that, I, got, I took some of the elements of the book, Good to Great, and kind of drafted them into a formula that I know works in college athletics, um, but people, culture, strategy, more money. Um, if we can do those things, I think we'll be well on our way. Hey, Jake, we should, uh, as we're moving towards the end here, we should schedule Brian again. I mean, he's got, we got to check back. <laughs> all this stuff's coming about, right? We can't just let it, you know, be out there. No, Brian, incredible insights. Um, and just, just even just to pick your brain about what, what you're going through as you're sitting in the chair, right? And I think um, you mentioned something at the beginning of the episode about change being constant. I'll wrap up with one last question around what's the change that you're foreseeing coming in the future that you're preparing for? You don't know how it's going to change, but uh, you've kind of got an inkling of, hey, this change is probably coming. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot coming down the pike, right? I think gambling will be legalized here in January in the state of Ohio. How do we react to that? How do we profit from that? How do we protect ourselves against that? Um, I think it's certainly one. I think big picture, at least from what I see on the horizon, I think how we treat, educate, coach, and service our student athletes is dramatically changing. I think also those same aspects of how we treat staff is dramatically changing. I think we're in an industry that's probably unprepared for that right now. Um, and so how we coach our student athletes, like the way I was coached coming up and the way our coaches have to adapt right now is just completely different. And we can ignore that and say, well, I'm old school and I want to keep that. But I, I'm just not sure you can be successful in today's market um, with that approach. And I think for staff, we got staff that we've kept at the same pay rate and asked people to work like I did for free or for 30 grand after law school. I worked 24 grand after law school, my first job. Um, I'm not sure those individuals exist anymore, or at least I'm having a hard time finding them. 
Um, oh, you mean you get paid? You get paid in sports? Yeah, yeah. When did that start happening? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's wrong with you, Andy. Yeah. Okay. You get paid no, in. it's glorious. It's glamorous. The hours are great. You take six months off in the off season. Isn't it great, Brian? Yeah. So I, I think that that's a real conversation we're going to have, particularly in our strategic plan of how we treat and retain our people. I maybe can't pay everybody as much as maybe Ohio State can, um, but can I be more flexible with in office, out of office? remote work, especially during the summer, uh, when we've got a little bit of time, can we think outside the box in terms of outside of just regular compensation ways to provide benefits to staff? Uh, we're going to spend a lot of time on that because, again, if I can get and retain and develop the best people possible, everything else becomes really easy. So if we overlook that piece of it, we're probably doing ourselves a disservice. Okay, Brian, the thought bubble above Jake's head when I say this is going to be, oh, boy. So I have two very quick questions for you before Jake uh, closes up the session. Those three bottles behind your left shoulder, uh, underneath the football helmet, uh, what are those? That hit self you on your head. Oh, yeah. uh, it's a local Toledo barbecue sauce. I figured, okay, <laughs> I got that. Um, and um, I, I love nicknames and all that. So I know NASA isn't based in Toledo. How did Toledo become the Rockets? Yeah, yeah. so it's a funny story because we're going to actually utilize this in some of our upcoming fundraising um, ideas is in 1923. Oh, um, yeah, we remember it. 1923. <laughs> <laughs> in 1923, they were playing a football game, and, and evidently the school at the time did not have a mascot of any sort. And the story goes the running back was running down the field, and the guy was like, well, we're going to make something up. And he said, he looks like a rocket uh, taking off. Um, and so that came up in the newspaper report out of New York at the time. Our local group ran with and then they've had iterations of rockets. Um, wow. Since. That was also 1923, the first year of a full-time athletic director uh, for the, the university. So the 1923 is a big year. Uh, for our All right, Jake, we can win some trivia bets there. And a rocket is faster than a mud hen, right, Brian? Damn right it is. So we've got a rocket on campus in front of our football building that points the land at the coordinates of Bowling Green University. Oh, wow. So there's a lot of fun being had on campus with rocket mascots. And I love being unique, right? The, to your point, the mud ends are unique. We've got the wildlife in town. They're unique. Um, but there are not too many rocket teams outside of Houston. Um, so well, the rockets have a rocket in you. They're, they're lucky to have you. There you go. I appreciate it. Brian, I appreciate the insights, uh, the thoughts, the perspectives. Uh, I certainly enjoyed this uh, the second visit with you, and as Andy mentioned, uh, definitely a third in the in the near future. Um, but best of luck as the uh, as the seasons are upon you, and uh, you guys move into the different sports. Uh, and I would be surprised if I didn't see anything about the hundredth anniversary of the Rocket, uh, nineteen twenty-three. So. But don't you I'm worry. Up here shortly. <laughs> don't you worry. That, that was very strategic, and we got some big plans. Uh, they're already talking to Jeff Bezos and people like they're going to shoot an alum into outer space for a ten million dollar donation. I can feel it coming, right? <laughs> no, I'll shoot myself into this outer space <laughs> <laughs> as long as I give you the money. Right? <laughs> All right, Brian. Appreciate it. Thanks again. Talk soon. Awesome. Thanks, fellas. See you guys.
Thanks for listening to the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic. Remember, you can get 15% off any one-time pack on shop.sujajuice.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And remember, if you like this episode or you like the Life in the Front Office podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Really appreciate you tuning in and stay tuned for the next one.